It's the most all-star studded challenge ever. And this time, it's every competitor for themselves. Best challenge ever! The Challenge All-Stars. New season now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply. Welcome back to the Junkyard Dogcast, everybody. I'm Jake Rowe with Dogs 24-7. With me, as always, are my guys Kip Adams and Rusty Mansell of Dogs 24-7. Coming off a bye week where Georgia went, uh, Georgia did not uh, lose. Uh, they, they didn't advance their record to 5-0, and but they didn't lose. They didn't get anybody injured. In fact, they're getting a little healthier. Uh, uh, heard from Kirby Smart today. He expects uh, Solomon Kinley and... Uh, 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 Eric Stokes and uh, Kiaris Jackson to be available on Saturday when the Bulldogs travel to uh, Tennessee to take on the Volunteers. Uh, one and three team. We're going to get into that a little bit in the show. But before we get any, to any of it, uh, Kip, what'd you do with the bye week, man? What'd you do with that week off from the keyboard and, and having to to stay on top of everything and and you know a little t- little extra time for rest and relaxation? Week off from the keyboard. I don't know about a week off. But <laughs> weekend off. Weekend off. Yeah, it definitely wasn't a week off. I'm like, damn, where was Kip last week? <laughs> yeah. I Kip, Kip, was my PTO, Kip was on. I might be in trouble a little bit there. Uh, Kip's always on. I, you know, the the weekend, it, it was it was good to kind of recharge a little bit and uh, spend a little bit of extra time enjoying uh, the benefits of, of that smoker in the backyard. So, uh, you know, just fine tune a little bit as, as Kirby smart said, said, you know, we're working on some things. We're trying to test out some new toys and, and given, uh, trying to get some new looks out there so we can get, get better for the, the rest of the season. And that's kind of what I did. Just, uh, had, you know, spend some time with my family and, uh, enjoy the, you know, some, some, some wings, some, uh, some ribs, some uh, reverse seared steak, some, you know, I, I did a, a, a new recipe, uh, which uh, w- I was kind enough to share with the uh, the junkyard on Saturday and, and did some uh, Guinness smoked burgers and uh, they came out, uh, they came out fantastic. So I was pretty happy with that. You know, I think, I think uh, I got better over the, over the weekend. I feel pretty good about it. I'm counting four large meals there. I mean, were those were, were there sandwich meals involved in there? Was it was it was a, was that lunch dinner lunch dinner? How did that go? I mean, I'm still eating. I got I still have a rack of ribs left to to take down, and uh, I got some wings waiting on me as soon as we're done with this show. So you know, it's it's multiple meals. You kind of plan ahead for the week with with you know a long day of of smoking. You, you're able to. They basically stack the, the the fridge with food for the week, so I'm still enjoying the, uh, you know, the fruits of my labor or the meats of my labor, I should say. I don't know if my liver can take a whole day of smoking, if you know what I'm saying. My man, my man said I still gotta take down a whole rack of ribs when we get done tonight. <laughs> like, like WWE's about to happen when we get off here. Yeah. Kip's fit to go suplex a rack of ribs once this is over. What'd you do, Rusty? I cooked a little bit. I mean, my God, it's, it's about like I cooked a crystal compared to what Kip just said. I, you know, I cooked a bud on Saturday and 
uh, just kind of hung out and, and I watched a lot of football. I mean, I watched, I like gorged on football all weekend. Watched, I even watched Arizona, UCLA all the way till probably one thirty. Uh, watched the little NFL yesterday. I'm sure. We'll talk about Nick Chubb here shortly, but, um, you know, just watched a lot of football and kind of got a, you know, just an idea of some other teams I haven't got a chance to put an eye on, but sure was nice to, uh, you know, I know Jake for you is nice to, to kick back and, and uh, not have to cover a game. But I mean, I think we all needed a little bit of a breather after that Notre Dame weekend. That was, that was something like we've, none of us have ever covered leading up to it afterwards, uh, everything that was involved with that, which was great. But, but man, it felt like we all kind of played a quarter. I think after we got done with that week. No doubt. I, you know, I haven't said this, but I got home from that Georgia Notre Dame game at 3 a.m. And uh, I usually, I'm usually pretty wired after all that goes because I'm, you know, especially those late games, I'm just sitting there like pounding black coffee in the press box. And so I get home and I'm like, shoot, might as well watch the game again. That way I'm ready for the report card tomorrow, kind of shorten up the order. And, you know, I ended up going to bed about 5.30 in the morning. Uh, after doing all that and, and getting everything written and that was uh you're right that was definitely with two young kids in the house that had me up an hour later it was uh it was a fight but uh it took me a couple of days to recover at least we had monday and then uh kirby was kind enough to to close practice on thursday so it was kind of thursday friday without any practice and then uh then had the weekend got i did the same thing as you rusty i gorged on football i I didn't make it that late though because i was in bed by 10 o'clock uh rusty and some other guys from 247 were texting uh at at about 10 30 that night and i wasn't awake to to see any of it i was in the sack 10 o'clock on saturday night and i was proud of it yep i mean we're sitting there i'm like jake is jake sawing logs i guarantee because we got no reply to you uh so I knew, I knew you had a long drive for the weekend, I think, down in South Georgia. So, Oh, yeah. And, and by the way, it's – yeah, let me tell you all what y'all are missing out by, by living up here in North Georgia. It is cool and, and, and the air is clear and thin down in South Georgia. I tell you what, man, it is – it was nice and cool this weekend. It was only like 99 degrees on Saturday. Uh, no breeze and humidity about 95. So – uh, it, it felt like it was about 110 out there, but I was able to take the kids out to the pool and enjoy them for a little bit. But, man, South Georgia, I, I, every time I go down there, I just I almost want to bite at the air. It's I just it's, You can chew it. It's unbelievable. Oh, yeah, gnats are like Apache helicopters. Yeah, no doubt. And the love bugs are starting to get going, too. One lit on the back of my wife's leg, and she almost jumped on my shoulders. It was – I mean, you know, she's a city girl, so it kind of – it kind of gets to her a little bit, but it was a lot of fun. We're gonna we're gonna talk about a couple different things uh, today, and I've kind of been tossing around in my mind which which thing we want to go with first. And uh, let's go ahead and jump to Tennessee. And man, a lot was said today. I, I don't know if you guys had a chance to digest everything that Kirby said and everything that Jeremy Pruitt said, but there was a lot said today. I mean, were they being serious? Either one of them. I don't know. Goodness gracious. I mean, I, I just I read both headlines and I'm thinking it's hard to understand both of them saying the things they said at the time. Crazy. No doubt. No doubt. And you know, I, I gotta give I gotta give uh, another two four seven sports writer a, a a a little bit of a pat on the back. And it's 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 Wes Rucker. He had a great column that I read today that that I thought was really good. And it it kinda 
talked about the differences between Smart and, and, and Pruitt's rebuild. And Smart had a lot to change at Georgia when he first got here. And, and basically, the, the thing we want to cover here, something we talked about before the show, was, was you know, kind of the Kirby Smart rebuild and the Jeremy Pruitt rebuild and, and trying to figure out exactly, like, I mean, when you look at this, is, is can, can Pruitt, because this is the big question, right, can Pruitt and his staff catch what Georgia's been doing to catch where Georgia is right now can they do that in enough time, you know, to to before they go? I mean, before you know, because this thing looks bad right now, and you know, I thought it was just interesting how you know, yeah, Pruitt had a point that Georgia had won twenty games the two years prior, so the turnaround is a little bit different. Uh, it, Georgia didn't fall completely out, and, and Jeremy Pruitt has a lot to do with that. They didn't hit rock bottom under Mark Rick, but uh, before he left, and and they had recruited okay. Uh, Kirby definitely came in and fixed what needed fixing and and, uh, and and got the program where it needed to be in short order. I think Tennessee, I think everybody would agree they've got a little bit further to go as far as Georgia Tech has to go. I don't know about that, but but definitely further to go. But, you know, just, just a lot of the things that were said, you know, uh, Kirby Smart says that Tennessee's on the brink of something special. Maybe he sees something that the rest of everybody in, in the entire universe doesn't see. As far as that go, maybe he's high on some of their young players. But the ultimate question is, can they catch Georgia? And and Rusty, I want to get your uh, I want to get your thoughts on that. You know, I think that Tennessee, and I've always said this when I ask about Jeremy Pruitt, they're going to be able to recruit, and they have been able to recruit. Um, you know, that class last year, they got some guys. I think Kirby touched on that today. You start looking at guys like Darnell Wright, who was a five-star offensive tackle. Wanye Mars, who was a five-star offensive tackle. Uh, I'm not even going to try to pronounce Henry Tatutu, uh, whatever his name was, the linebacker. Toa Toto. Toa Toa Toto from De La Salle. I, I don't know if that's his name. I just came up with my own pronunciation. He's a, he's a really good player, regardless. You know, got Ramil Keaton, those guys, Eric Gray out of Memphis, who's wind up being a good freshman running back. They're going to be able to recruit. You have to be able to win because Georgia went eight and five, and everybody recruited against Kirby, saying, "Listen, the guy can't win the big games. He needed 2017 to silence those crowd, and he did." I think the key to Tennessee is they're going to be able to recruit well enough to close the gaps on some teams. The biggest question is can they put it together as a staff and win games, and can they get quarterback play? Because right now they're a long way off from Georgia, Alabama, Clemson, and now Auburn uh, in the quarterback play. They're not getting it there. Uh, you know, Harrison Bailey is their guy. Can he be that guy? Nobody will know until he gets there. Uh, that's a lot to say. We're waiting on a senior in high school uh, to get there and do these things. So, you know, I think the key to Tennessee is two things. Can they get quarterback play and can they win games on Saturdays? Because they're going to be able to change that roster. I believe that. I saw it last year and you'll see it this year some. So those are the keys to me. Quarterback play and can they win games? Because when Georgia went eight and five, you would have thought they went four and eight. Uh, you know, some of the teams are recruiting against them. I can only imagine what teams are seeing recruiting against Tennessee right now. I'll tell you what, you know, Jake Fromm is a polarizing topic on, on our on our board. You know, you got to really, it, it's not that polarizing because I feel like you've got a lot of people that are on the warm side 
for Jake Fromm is some on the really warm part of that spectrum. And you've got some people on the other side of it. But I, you could say all you want about the kid. Maybe he doesn't win it at Georgia. Maybe he does. But how big of a deal was it that in 2017 you lose your starting quarterback in the first half of the first game and you end up going to the college football playoff? I mean, to me, Tennessee hasn't had anybody play to that level to get them there. You've got to play to a certain level to get your team there. You've got to manage the game to a certain level, and that's not all you have to be as a game manager. That's not all Jake Fromm was. I mean, when Georgia needed him to throw for over 300 against Missouri, he did it. When they needed a last-second drive against Oklahoma in the Rose Bowl, he did it. Uh, played really well in the SEC championship against Auburn. I mean, he he made some plays, and he played really well as a freshman. That's what Georgia needs Harrison Bailey to be. They they need that they need that quarterback that's going to come in there and you know listen by some standards Jake Fromm's a superstar in college football look at that win loss record superstar in college football as far as numbers he's not they don't need they don't need a guy that's going to come in there and throw for thirty five hundred yards and forty touchdowns they need somebody that's going to come in there and take care of the football who's going to run the offense who's going to be a steady rock and a leader for that for that football team. And and if they don't find that guy, they're not they, they don't have a chance. I don't care how well they recruited around him. But if they do find that guy, then they've got a chance. Yeah, those two tackles they got, one Ed Morris. I mean, me and Kip both know those guys, Darnell Wright. I mean, those are those are elite players. Let's be clear. Georgia at one point wanted both of those guys and would have easily taken both of those guys. Wanya Morris did not want to go to Georgia. Uh, he felt like he had an easier path to get on the field at Tennessee, and he did. As a freshman, Darnell Wright was a guy that me and Kip followed because Georgia was recruiting him really hard. So you start building on the line of scrimmage and those types of things, you've got to be able to match up with these other teams uh, on, on both sides of the ball up front, and that, that's where it's going to take a little bit of time. And can they get that roster turned? But, man, it all comes down to quarterback play for me, for those, for those guys. You know, one of the things that stood out to me about Jeremy Pruitt when he was at Georgia, and he recruited well. He had some really good evaluations, some some rough ones in the secondary. There were a lot of kids that didn't pan out. Your Jarvis Wilsons, your Shaq Wilsons, and uh, you know it goes kind of goes on and on there with, with some guys that didn't, but some key guys really panned out. If Jonathan Abram would have stuck it out at Georgia, we've seen what kind of player he turned into. Uh, but but one thing that impressed me most was how he got Georgia ready to play on Saturday, especially that defense in Georgia. Uh, a little outmanned in the secondary in his first year there. Uh, still did a good job of limiting big plays. Got exposed at times, but for the most part, didn't have a lot of talent there on defense. They upgraded that and, and got better as he was at Georgia and were flat-out winning games because of the defense his final year there. But ultimately, I think that that, that hasn't really happened on the field for Tennessee thus far. And Kip, when I look at that, if when you when you combine the struggles of getting Tennessee ready to play on Saturday thus far, and when you combine the recruiting uh, aspect of it as well, I mean, do you, uh, same question to you: Can Tennessee catch Georgia? I think it all depends on how long how long Jeremy Pruitt's given, because at this point, we all have to agree that the the main reason why Tennessee is not taking that step this year is because Jared Garantano has regressed this season. I mean, he's obviously regressed. So if he is not the answer, you know, I don't know. We're going to find out real soon if if either the freshman quarterbacks, what they bring to the table, you know, I, I think that's, that's going to be kind of, you know, what they try to find out over the next couple of weeks. And, and as Rusty said, it, I mean, it's, it is going to be, 
did they get the right guy in Harrison Bailey? And, you know, you're going to, when you have a guy like that come in, you're probably going to be kind of cleaning the slate again and, and, and going from there. And with, with those offensive tackles, you're going to want, you know, that, that third year for them will, will be his second year in the program. So already you're going to be looking at, you know, 2021, that's the year when, when Tennessee has a chance to be, you know, really strong in the SEC. Now, Harrison could come in, play lights out, just like Jake Fromm did. But, you know, when you start just trying to be realistic and, and the year where you should you should be able to see what this Tennessee program is all about, it's it's going to be a couple of years from now. I mean, the other thing that kind of has caught me off guard, I guess, this season so far has kind of been the secondary. Again, again that's – I mean, if that's Jeremy Pruitt's strength, you know, it, it it's tough to see the kind of the regression in that secondary with guys like Nigel Warrior – you know, Alante Taylor, uh, you know, they got Schamberger in there playing a lot and they got Warren Burrell's playing a lot early on as well. You know, that group is not playing, you know, up to its capabilities so far. So that's definitely an area that, you know, that they need to, to get better at. And it, it is tough to really compare it to Kirby Smart because, you know, that was a program that had averaged 10 wins the two previous seasons. You know, they, they actually won 10 games the year they made the change there and with Tennessee and they hadn't had a 10 win season. Now it's, it's been 12 years. I think it's uh, 2007 was the last time they had double digit wins. They actually have a losing record over the last decade. So it's just a completely different situation. It's, you can't really compare it to, to what, you know, Georgia did when Kirby smart came in, you know, he did have some things he needed to, to change, but it was more about a philosophy change, a culture change, and just, you know, refining the recruiting philosophy of what they wanted to do at Georgia. At Tennessee, it, it is a complete overhaul, and you're having to change a culture of losing. You know, Georgia, the, the, those players knew what winning was like. They just weren't playing up their capabilities. It's just a completely different you know, situation for Jeremy Pruitt. And it's much closer to what we're seeing at, you know, some of the other uh, teams in SEC, like, you know, Kentucky. You know, what Stoops has been able to do at Kentucky is a better con comparison. That's something we're, you're talking about year, you know, year three, year four, year five. Uh, I think Mark Stoops, you know, they had 10 wins in year five under him. You know, they, they are benefit, they benefited from, from giving him more time. And that's the kind of success that Tennessee needs to be working towards is having consistency and and just building towards something. They've gone through so much changeover over the last decade. It's it set their program back so much that Pruitt is going to need, you know, the trust and the time to be able to reshape that entire program. You know, if he's going to get it to the where Georgia is, it's going to have to, you're going to have to look toward 2021, 2022, and basically just give him free reign to, to continue to keep chugging along this season and, and next season. As far as getting to Georgia's level, I think it's going to be tough. And it's, and, you know, it's, it's been tough because Tennessee has always been a program that needed to get a lot of its players you know, nationally, it was a nationally recruiting program. And as well as Georgia, it's just gotten so much more competitive in the state of Georgia that it's been harder for them to, to you know, to get a lot 
of elite players out of the state because now you know Clemson has come on you know and so all the other programs I mean Auburn Alabama all the teams that are just attacking the state of Georgia every year it just makes it that much tougher for Tennessee to be able to get nearby talent and so you know it's just a different situation than what it was 20 years ago for that program. So for them to, to, to really get to Georgia's level, they need time and they need to get lucky at quarterback. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And another thing I'll point to is when you, you know, when Georgia grabbed that number three recruiting class, or I'm sorry, that, that number three recruiting class, Kirby's first class at Georgia, man, it was Georgia heavy. I mean, you look, I mean, I know they went out and got DeAndre Swift. And and uh, and Mark Webb and, and guys like that, but you guys like Andrew Thomas and uh, and Jake Fromm and uh, uh, Malik Herring. I mean, there were so many Georgia kids in that class that they were able to lean on a heavy in-state recruiting base. And now they've been able to kind of pick and choose who they take from in-state because of the success and and go more nationally. And and that's why you see a minute for guys like Noah Sewell and and these all these kids out of Texas. You know, guy like Louis Cena, they seen that they signed in this past class. Uh, so, you know, you, you see kind of the evolution of Georgia's recruiting based on the success. And, and that's not a chicken or egg argument that that's, you know, that whether no matter how you want to label, you know, if you were to label recruiting the chicken, the, 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 the egg has to come first. The wind has to come first. And, and, you know, that's before you can really start to expand nationally. And, and Tennessee has a little bit of a base, probably more so than it did when Philip Fulmer uh, first kind of built them into a national brand because Nashville and Mem- Nashville has exploded. Memphis is is putting out some really good talent. So they've got a little bit more of a base, but not one you can completely rely on for your talent. And, and I think that's a little bit of an issue that they've run into. Uh, as far as the product we're seeing on the field this year, Rusty, is there anything that kind of surprises you about that? Like I said, I mean, Jeremy Pruitt was fantastic while at Georgia. And listen, all my interactions with the guy were great. We told you, we told the guys over at Dogs 47 over and over and over again that all these rumors of Tracy Rocker not liking Jeremy Pruitt and, and you know, uh, all of this stuff about Mark Rick and Jeremy Pruitt just hating each other. I mean, listen, there were dust ups, there was some frustration, whatever. But at the end of the day, they were able to, you know, sit down across from each other and get the deal done and get business done. And and that was why that season closed on five straight wins. It wouldn't have been that way if they couldn't have done that. Uh, but but does it surprise you at all that, that the product they've put on the field, the lackluster product they've put on the field, recruiting or not? Because it, it just seems like, I mean, listen, losing to Georgia State, even losing to BYU, those are tough pills to swallow. The The – Inability to be able to close games surprises me. And, and you listen to Pruitt talk about that. And, uh, you know, I think he mentioned the other day they had won 10 games in two years, I think, this team had. And I, I think that's what he said. But the inability to close that BYU game and, um, you know, it's a, it's a hard – I, I didn't play on that level, okay? So I don't I don't know that level of college football, but I know of playing sports my whole life and coaching for a little while. You need that one game to show you, yes, you can do it. Everything this staff is telling me, uh, everything that we've done is paying off. Uh, you know, I think Georgia kind of had that moment uh, with Notre Dame in 2017. I think that game – 
propelled them into what they did in 2017. I think Tennessee has got to find a way to close one of these games that they're not going to beat Georgia. But, you know, South Carolina coming into town, hell, they got to beat Vanderbilt. Um, you know, that's just something you've got to turn around. And uh, I, I think it's surprising to me they haven't had that moment yet where they've won a game. Uh, I know they beat Auburn, but but it, it it's kind of regressed. You know, that, that didn't propel them into this year. They need a win uh, against one of these teams they're not supposed to beat. And, you know, they got some tough games, man, with Missouri and South Carolina and, uh, you know, Georgia and Alabama. And, uh, you know, it's tough, man. But the inability to close one has really surprised me uh, with the staff they got and probably what they have preached all offseason. Just, they just can't find a way to win games and close them right now. Very true. And, and, you know, you look at Georgia's rebuild and, and or, or alteration or whatever you want to call it under Kirby Smart, what he's done at Georgia. To me, it, there are three big events that happened. There was the loss to Georgia Tech, which put an absolute awful taste in a lot of people's mouths. Kirby actually, you know, went on to say that it changed the way he defended Georgia Tech, that they spent a lot more time throughout the year on the triple option, and I'm sure you're glad he doesn't have to face it anymore, but I think that loss played a role. You got four seniors who decided to come back, and boy, did they make some big plays to get Georgia where they wanted to go that season. I don't care what you think about them and where they got drafted and all that stuff. I mean, three of them went in the top three rounds, and the one who didn't just signed an NFL contract and made two of the biggest plays on the season and the win over Notre Dame. And those three things, very linear to where the program headed from there on out, and and that was huge for Georgia. And sometimes you just need those things to stack up. Sometimes you need a guy like Javon Wims to go up and make a play to set up a game-winning field goal against Notre Dame, and then you need Davin Bellamy to, to, to get a game-winning sack off a first-round tackle when he went undrafted. I mean, those are the types of things you need, and, and Tennessee's going to have to have not those things exactly. I, I'm, in no way would I ever say that, but they're going to have to have some types of things like that happen to them, and, and it could happen in, in three weeks. I don't think they've – I mean – we're talking less of a 1% chance of beating Georgia. If they've got a chance to beat Georgia on Saturday, um, I think keeping it close might, might you know, or, or close for three quarters or, or maybe making it a four-quarter game might speak something to this football team and fan base. But overall, it's, it's going to take mul- multiple things to happen, and, and it all started for Georgia. Uh, again, where, however you want to think about Jake Fromm, was Kirby Smart flipping Jake Fromm from Alabama and and having a guy ready to play when Jacob Eason went down, and that saved Georgia's season and saved a pretty magical one at that. All right, let's let's talk dogs in the NFL. Okay, we're four weeks into the year, and uh, we tried to talk a little bit about this on Thursday and ran out of time. But man, uh, we'll start with with the show that Nick Chubb put on Saturday. Boys, that did not look like a four five two forty whenever he was running by my man Mike McDonald's defense up there. And uh, you know, I coached with the Ravens linebackers coach at Cedar Shoals for a couple years and. Mike is, uh, you know, I, I hadn't had a chance to text him or talk to him about that one, but oh my gosh, I, 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 like I said, didn't look like a four or five, four or five, two guy. That's that's football speed right there. I love what Deion Sanders. Somebody asked him, you know, what he runs a forty, and he goes, "I don't know. I just know I've never been caught from behind." And you know, I got to think about. It. I don't know that I've ever seen Nick really get caught from behind. Uh, when he gets a full head of steam, 
he's going to take it to the house. I mean, he ran one against Clemson in one shoot, uh, breaking tackles and that type of thing. But you let him get north-south. You know, you don't see those runs. That's that's the second one, I think, or the third one he's had so far. He, uh, he had one last year against the Falcons, I think, of 91. Yeah. So. You know, and, and when you see NFL safeties pull up, the guy yesterday from Baltimore, he pulled up. He's like, I'm not catching him. And, and, and that's just, you know, the ultimate level of professional football. You had a guy say, you know what? I'm not catching that guy. About 20 yards left in the, the run. He just, he pulled up. I, I can't catch him. And that says a lot um, about how fast he is. But man, you could, what a damn performance. Um, I actually, I, I'll just say that I texted John Lilly last night. And, and boy, that was a huge win for those guys. He was very excited. You know, first thing he responded, hey, Everything we've been through, we're in first place. So, um, you know, it's a big win for them to 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 calm the people. Really, really thought a great game plan, game game calling by Freddie Kitchens, who took a lot of heat the week before. Hey, Cleveland's fun to watch, man. They're going to be on prime time. I, I looked at their schedule; they had no idea there are that many prime time games. And by the way, I meant to start this off the whole NFL segment off by saying. We've reached out to sources. We don't know what's going on with Roquan Smith. I had someone close to him tell me he's going to be fine. That's it. So I know that that there are, you know there are Georgia fans out there that love the guy and rightfully so. But it's one of those personal things. If it's a personal thing, coaches aren't going to comment about it. It's none of our business. So you know we we I know that all three of us, if if we were to check in on it, our first question would be: Is Roquan okay? That's what mine was, and I left it at that. So that's that's kind of what we know about the situation, almost nothing. So uh, I wanted to touch on that. Kip, I look back at Nick Chubb's injury in 2015, and uh, I posed this question to a friend of mine earlier today, and and he he had an interest he had an interesting response. You take a hundred running backs, give them the circumstances that Nick Chubb had torn PCL. MCL, RCL, P, uh, R, MC, whatever, it doesn't matter. Just an alphabet soup of torn ligaments and cartilage in his knee. How many of those guys out of 100 come back and do what Nick Chubb's been able to do? Uh, I think that the three of us know as well as anyone that Nick Chubb's work, worth ethic, his determination, you know, is second to none. And there's... That's the one thing that, you know, you get into recruiting rankings. We start trying to to get these rankings right, and it's it's so difficult. That's the one thing you just, you know, you can't really put a value on. It's so tough to, to actually measure that coming out of high school because we don't have, you know, the access to all of these these prospects. But, but we knew. I mean, we knew about that with Nick Chubb coming in. And, and we didn't know. You don't know how a you know a knee is going to react an injury right like that. But we knew that if anyone could come back and somehow be more explosive, you know, or, or possibly stronger than he was before, it would be Nick Chubb because that's the only thing we've ever really seen Nick Chubb do. And I'm not really sure what what his interests are outside of football or what he does with his free time because I think. Every time, you know, Georgia was either on a buy or the offseason, uh, if Rusty was in Cedartown, you know, it was he was seeing Nick Chubb just right back at the weight room. You know, sure. that's all Nick did 
you know, in, in our eyes, it's all we saw him do was work hard, you know, all the time. Focus on mastering his craft and trying to improve as a running back and, and physically improve. And, and again, I mean, leading the NFL with, with three rushing touchdowns over 60 yards and hitting that, that speed that he hit, what was it, 20, 21.95 miles per hour? Uh, that I mean, that's just, you know, mind-boggling that, that he was able to do that. And the fact that, you know, he and Miko Harmon have the top two, apparently the top two speeds Crazy. in the NFL this Insane. season. You know, the fact that Nick Chubb hit a higher speed than Miko Harmon is just astounding. So, you know, none, none of that surprises me. It's just uh, that's what you – you know, you – you love to see that from a guy coming back from injury. I mean, as we talked about last week on the podcast, you know, I guess the bar being set for that is is with linebacker Thomas Davis, you know, coming back from so many torn ACLs and, and being someone who is, you know, leading the team in tackles at his age is is an incredible story in itself. And, and, and Nick Chubb is, is working toward – you know, building a similar story for himself so far in the NFL. And he's definitely, you know, given the Cleveland Browns a, a lot to be excited about and, and, you know, making them look good for, for, for drafting him and, and, you know, basically kind of handing him the keys to the backfield. So, I mean, they had a pretty decent veteran running back on, on board, had a couple decent guys with, uh, you know, with Carlos Hyde. You know, he was, I mean, he's still – Highly productive in the NFL. So uh, you look at what the, you know, they, they said, you know what? We see the talent that Nick has and, and we're going to go all in on it. So, you know, I think they're they're benefiting from that. And, and you know, kudos to Nick for, for continuing to just grind and do his thing and, and not really worry about any of the outside noise and just focus on, on what he does best. Pretty cool to see Freddie Kitchens before the season uh, really – gush over the Nick Chubb that that kind of we all got to know during his recruitment and during his time at Georgia by talking about how awesome of a worker he is, how awesome of a person he is, and how Kareem Hunt, who's been in the league two years longer than Nick Chubb or yet or a year more than Nick Chubb, can learn a lot from that whenever he comes back from suspension. Um, you know, I, I just I thought that was pretty incredible that you've got a head coach that that has already seen that out of his guy in just a little over a year and and has learned that much about him. Thomas Davis, Kip, he might be on the decline, man. He was averaging over 11 tackles a game for the first three games. He only had four this past week, so it, it might be time for him to, to to think about retirement or something. He, he might be winding down a little bit. Obviously, the you know the um, the Dolphins watched that film and they knew to do uh, basically run the ball away from him as best possible. So <laughs> he was probably facing those, you know, those double and triple teams at age 36. And, uh, you know, he still still got a half sack in that game, though. So, you yep. know, you can't, you, you still can't, you know, completely keep him, uh, you know, from stuffing the stat sheet a little bit. But I think he's, you know, he's holding strong with, uh, I think, what, 38 tackles in, in, in four games so far. That's, uh, that's right. That's that's nothing to sneeze at. So, um, you know, 15th season, it's just incredible. Um, so three ACL tears and plays in the Super Bowl with his arm looking more stitched up than a football. I, I don't I mean, 
Nick Chubb can be Nick Chubb, and he, he'll be his own self, and I'm sure he'll play through some injuries in his career. I don't think there'll ever be another Thomas Davis. It may be in the history of the NFL for what he's played through and what he's done because, man, that guy, I, I just I, it's just hard to wrap your head around. I mean, I've had an ACL injury, and I, I, I almost cried. I almost like I almost didn't want to try to come back from, to eat, you know, Cheetos from that thing. And Thomas Davis is out there coming back from one three times to possibly do it again. And uh, that's I don't know, man. Just some kind. Of, I think folks need to realize that even the even the kid who who goes four years and graduates and maybe appears on special teams a few times. The fact that he just endured four straight fall camps, it makes him cut from a different cloth than most of us, and that's why he is where he is. But it's uh, it's just amazing to see. Uh, Rusty, uh, I-, I wanted to get your take. I don't know if you've seen the past two weeks what Javon Wims is kind of getting going there in Chicago. Uh, he's got five catches over the last couple weeks. He's caught uh, five of his six targets, and uh, it, it has five catches for 66 yards. It seems like they might be trying to integrate him a little bit into the Bears' offense after him basically not even playing much last year. The biggest thing I saw yesterday was Chase Daniel was throwing the ball down the field. Um, he took some shots. He took some 50-50 balls to Wims, and we know that he's got a pretty damn good success rate with a 50-50 ball in the air. Uh, yesterday he had a, a back shoulder throw that he – uh, had the DB twisted up, and I thought, man, how many times have we seen that, especially in 2017? So, you know, you look at Wims, and, and uh, you know, he tweeted today, uh, retweeted somebody, had a video of him, and he had, like, seventh-round draft pick kind of taking a shot, you know, and uh, he just kept getting better and better in college, and, and, and he has found his niche. I tell you what, the Bears are fun to watch, man. You uh, Again, we don't know anything about Roquan. Um, hoping he's back quick because their defense is nasty. Uh, Trubisky kind of has struggled a little bit, and maybe they found something yesterday and changed down. They are fun to watch. I would love to watch um, that defense uh, with those guys against the Patriots down the line. I've given up on my Falcons, and I'm sure me and Kip would talk about that the rest of the show, but uh, I like matchups, and and, and if anybody's going to give the Patriots a matchup, it's going to be an elite defensive team in my opinion, and Man, the Bears, you better buckle up every single play. You put Roquan back in there, they'd be tough to deal with. Leonard Floyd, Khalil Mack, all those guys that they come after you. Ha ha, Clinton Dix over there. They're long. Kyle Fuller at corner. Really, really enjoy watching the Bears play defense. I'll tell you what, man, you brought up the Patriots and you want to know how valuable David Andrews is to that team. Watch the Patriots try to run the football compared to last year. And I know some of that probably has to do with Patrick Devlin being bedinged up and Rob Gronkowski and. You know, that also mushrooms into a completely different argument when, you know, folks want to see tight ends catch the football and you talk about the importance of blocking and, and all that stuff. And but, but David Andrews not being on that team is absolutely huge for their ability to run the ball during the, between the tackles. And it certainly uh, affected them trying to tr- shoot. It's, it's affected them trying to run the ball, period. I think they're averaging 2.3 yards a carry or 2.5 yards a carry this year, somewhere in that neighborhood. Definitely not the same Patriots team we saw last year uh, without Andrews. And they're they're also missing Isaiah Wynn in that mix as well. And then, you know, Leonard Floyd was out yesterday. But that's another guy that at Georgia, all the the time they let him spend in space, everybody thought, well, that's going to hurt his draft stock. Then he goes top 10. And now the Bears are using him to both rush the quarterback and play in space. And he's doing a really good job of it. And 
you know, it's pretty pretty incredible what the Bears were able to do yesterday, even without Roquan and and Lorenzo Carter. That's a that's a pretty ferocious defense. But like I, I agree with you, it's a fun team to watch. Uh, we're gonna have more later on this week on Tennessee. Uh, we're gonna have uh, potentially uh, at the beginning of next week a special guest on the show, uh, a, a guy that I think you guys would all love to hear from, one of the most knowledgeable guys out there. As far as college football goes, we've been talking about getting something set up, and I think we're pretty close. Uh, but until then, that's all we've got for this show. I'm Jake Rowe with Dogs 24-7. They're Kip Adams and Rusty Mansell of Dogs 24-7, and this has been the Junkyard Dogcast. Take care, everybody.